1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 3, and we're going to go down to verse 12. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, um, you can easily download one on your phone, or there's some ones at the back that you uh, can readily access and um, use during this time together. So let's read the word together. That's 1 Peter chapter 1, and starting at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has called us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials." So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. And this is our passage for today, starting at verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word today, humble our hearts. May we be expectant to hear from you through your Holy Spirit. May this word be empowered in your name. Amen. So at one point um, in my childhood, my family decided to go on a long family trip. Uh, we went up, we, I grew up in Queensland, we went from Brisbane all the way up to Mount Isa, and we travelled across into the Northern Territory, and we had some amazing, spectacular opportunities to see the, the natural beauty that Australia has to offer. I remember once when we were at the Olgas, uh, there around Ayers Rock, or Uluru, I should say, and the olgas are these giant monolithic stones in the middle of the desert. And we had the very unique and special experience of actually having it rain while we were there. Water's cascading over these, over these rocks. And it's just a magical, almost mystical sort of place to see that occur. The, the chance of that in the desert is very low. And um, while we we're also in the Northern Territory, we went to this other place. Uh, it was called King's Canyon. And it's a canyon in the middle of the desert once again. And we're walking along, it's all dry and it's arid. And you're walking along this, this rim of this giant canyon and, and you eventually descend into this area that magically becomes like the Garden of Eden. It's this oasis in the middle of the desert in this canyon. There's palm trees, there's a, there was a waterfall and there was this pool of water. And I remember us just going into the water and having a swim and... Um, at one point, you know, as we went just kind of swimming around the water and we came up a lip of another area and just looked out and there were palm trees and it was just lush and green. And it was just a, 
an amazing moment that I can vividly see in my mind right now. And just, I remember being blown away at the beauty, the unexpected revealed beauty that lay before, before me. And it's what we see today, this beauty as well in the salvation that has been revealed in Jesus Christ. It is glorious too. The salvation has been revealed in Jesus Christ and it's glorious. The prophets were waiting. They were like on the King's Canyon looking and waiting to see this glory, but they never got to see the Garden of Eden experience that I had. We are told today that the people that Peter is writing to, they got to experience that and so do we. And that's what we're going to see today. Which brings us to our first point today. And that is in verses 10 to 11. 1 Peter chapter 1, 10 to 11. And it's salvation is found in the revealed Christ. Salvation is found in the revealed Christ. So as we read the context here, our passage today concludes a theological encouragement section from Peter to the believers of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Concerning the living hope they have in Jesus. This is what it's about. And our passage, starting in verse 10, um, begins with the phrase, concerning this salvation. This is written in connections to verses 3 to 9, hence why I asked for it to be um, placed up on the screen in broader context, and that's why we read it. Because it's in verses 3 to 9, in verse 7 specifically, that we receive that this salvation is revealed in the person of our faith in whom the outcome, the salvation of our souls is found in verse 9. We read, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the subject who provides the salvation for us, Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This salvation of our souls is found in and through Christ. And this drives Peter to write verses 10 to 12. Because what Peter's going to do in our passage is going to sweep us up into the grand salvation arc, the salvation history that God has planned before the beginning of time, centering on the climactic revelation of the person and work of Jesus, in whom there was much inquiry, anticipation, and mystery. This is our context here. And we read in verse 6 that Peter, so we're still in this context, is aware of the suffering of his brothers and sisters in Christ. This is actually a theme that runs throughout the entirety of 1 Peter. And we read in verses 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And I think what is happening in verse 10 is that Peter, recognizing this struggle of various trials, he wants to catapult them into the context of something larger, grander, transcendent to the temporal realities that of painful experience can draw us into. He wants to sharpen their focus despite their suffering. And perhaps Peter is aware of the soul-grinding nature of suffering from his own experience. 
he recognises that suffering has a way of shrinking our vision, restricting our sight, dimming that which ought to be bright. And we can, without proper redirection, become fixated on addressing the immediate trials of our suffering. And we lose sight of the glorious purposes and his victory in our trials and the glorious person in whom our hope is placed. Now, this is a natural response. But Peter wants us to remind us, as we see, born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. As Scott mentioned, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. And we read in verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So he raises their vision from their painful existence to the glories of the heavenly realm. He says, look beyond what is before you, the trials that are, that are so painfully pressing in on you. Look to the new reality that you have secured in you. Now, if you had have seen me about uh, two and a bit years ago, I would have looked very different. No, it wasn't plastic surgery. Um, don't comment on that. Um, it was actually, I had glasses. Um, I had had glasses since year three. And they were just a common feature on my face. So that was just Joel, I was, he wore glasses. And I decided with the encouragement from another member in this congregation to go get laser eye surgery. And the laser eye, they, they measure up your eyes and then they literally burn your eyes. You can smell it. Uh, you can. <laughs> you go in there and you smell it before anything has even happened of previous lasered eyes. <laughs> and and you, you lay down on this, on this um, table and they line it all up and they start reshaping, redefining, remolding your eyes, cutting away and recrafting your eyes so that you can see clearly. Now, if I was to get glasses now and put them on, my vision would actually become blurred. And in fact, my vision now is actually better than 2020 because of the laser eye surgery. And it's, it's like what Peter does here. He says, why? Let's, why would you be limited to the suffering vision of the glasses that you once were in, when you can see the grander reality, the laser focus of the God perspective that you now share in it, the glorious. These fires are burning you, shaping you, remolding you. And he says, he's bringing them to this. He says, you know, this is the crescendo of this transcendent hope in verse 10. He's drawing the curtain back on the privilege that we have, that they had, in the place of history, this side of the cross. This side of this cross. And he's reminding us, we have new vision, new hope. So let's now, with that context all in mind, let's focus specifically on the passage before us. So that's 1 Peter chapter 1, 10 to 12. And we read, The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and subsequent glories. So here we read of a body of witnesses, prophets, 
spanning many centuries, who looked forward with eagerness, we're told, to the historical arrival of God's salvation in a point in history, in history's time, pinpointed to circumstances in a particular point in time, specifically found in a person. But for them, it was left shrouded in mystery. And as um, if you have a look later on, as we read in Galatians 4.4, that this was because the fullness of time had yet to come. You see, the Bible is one cohesive story. From beginning to end, it attests to Christ. It attests to Christ. From Moses to Malachi, progressive revelation slowly brightens the shadowy room of God's salvation purposes. First, brought into focus way at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, in the Proto-Evangelium, as it's called in the seed in which of the woman would crush the serpent's head. And as the prophets throughout the progressive history um, of God's chosen people, as salvation is progressively revealed, additional fragments of prophecy add to the brightening of God's purpose in salvation. Because continuity is a characteristic of Christian faith. And it's expressed in the Old Testament, branching and blossoming in the New Testament, grace offered through Jesus. Christianity isn't a new religion. It has deep heritage, deep roots. Instead, it's the budding and flowering of the sprouted, seeding and vegetative state of God's salvation purposes found in the Old Testament. It anchors us that this is a story that has spanned over centuries, a consistent narrative pointing to one person. That is a miracle. Unlike, say, for the Quran, and um, Muhammad, when asked to provide a miracle for who he claimed to be, the last prophet of, of God, he said the Quran was a miracle. This was revealed to a guy in a cave over 22 years. A cave, no witnesses. We have a testimony of witnesses. Prophets spanning centuries, professing to the glorious nature of this Christ. But despite searching and inquiring carefully, they were only able to see a portion. A portion. The Spirit of Christ was revealing in them what was to come. This hope was a profound mystery. It was shrouded. And we even read, don't we, in verse 12, that the angels didn't even um, understand fully. They looked into it and they wanted to see it. Now, uh, I, was, I, I was reading a story to my daughter Amalia um, called Arabella. I, I highly recommend it. It's um, by Wendy Orr and Kim Gamble. I am, by the way, going to spoil the plot for you. But it's still a good read. Um, it is a living book that I think conveys wonderful joy every time you read it anyway. And on my initial read, it's, it's about this young boy who's visiting his grandfather. And it's a picture book. And over the time, you see various um, you know, pictures of the, the boy with his grandfather. And uh, it's about him visiting his grandfather on this island. They take this boat over to this island where his grandfather lives. And it centers on this miniature ship called the Arabella. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but that's how I think you should pronounce it. And it's perched on the windowsill. And the grandfather just 
speaks so highly of this, this miniature ship and how it brings him luck. And he just so fondly attached to this Arabella. Uh, and the book then shares that a furious storm rages one night and it actually, by some happenstance, sweeps the Arabella off the windowsill out to sea. And in desperation, knowing that the boat meant so much to his dearly loved grandfather, this boy goes out, gets into the boat, and goes out into this choppy, ferociously stormy waters, sailing in extremely dangerous territory to risk um, his life in grasping this boat for his grandfather. And he brings it to shore. And I want to read for you from the last pages from this point onwards. And I want you to listen, catch catch the essence of this. He drifted into the wharf where Grandpa was waiting. He saw Grandpa's worried face and then Grandpa's arms were around, um, around him, lifting him out of the boat, hugging him tight. I thought I'd lost what I loved best in all the world, Grandpa said. The Arabella? Matthew asked. You, said Grandpa. And it's actually on this final page where the line... Um, uh, you, said Grandpa, what he almost lost, that we reveal, the deepening of this story is revealed. And it opened my eyes. It's only on the final page do we see that Matthew is actually a paraplegic, that he actually needs a wheelchair. Throughout the whole story, reading the whole story, you do not see this. It's foreshadowed. There's a wheelchair put on the side and one scene has Matthew lying in a posture that looks a little bit awkward and somewhat unnatural, but you think, oh, maybe he's just resting in the grass. There's another one where he's lifted out of the boat, another one where he's lying in the boat with legs kind of looking rather limp, another one where he's sitting in a chair, which, if you look closer, has a wheelchair arm attached to it. There were hints there, but it wasn't fully revealed until the end. That final scene, that final page, where you realise what this actually makes the story even more richer and more incredible. For that boy to go and risk his life as a paraplegic in the midst of the storm, not with all of his bodily um, faculties working properly, to, to wrestle and, and uh, to work at the sails and to be tossed and turned with the very real reality, if he got flung into the water, he would die because he cannot use his legs. He did this for his grandfather. Matthew... Matthew's experience was, is even more heroic when you understand the last pages. And it was such a pleasure to read back over the story from the start and to see the wheelchair now understood in each scene of the book. This is what we have with the gospel. Peter's saying, just like the Arabella and Matthew in the wheelchair, you didn't understand truly. They couldn't. But now that Christ has come, we can understand the whole scope of the Old Testament. It all makes sense in light of Christ. We can look back and see God's revelation at different points being foreshadowed. It's in the resurrection of Jesus that the true majesty and glory of Jesus is revealed to his disciples, which has been foreshadowed, anticipated, and shrouded in the prophet's vision. But we have the glory of seeing it fully and finally revealed. And it is beautiful. So my grandfather, who's no longer with us, 
um, his relaxation, my grandfather on my mother's side, was completing puzzles. He was a pretty sick dude. Um, you know, I'm not talking about a hundred, hundred piece kind of puzzles uh, like Steph and Mick might want to do. Sorry, I may have insulted you. It's probably more than a hundred pieces. Um, he completed puzzles of 10,000 pieces. He even had a specially designed and slightly angled, yes, slightly angled table in a dedicated puzzle room on which one of his numerous puzzles would rest. And my granddad, when he, he had a moment, um, he, he was a very industrious sort of man, worked hard. When he had a moment in his spare time, he'd go to the puzzle room, you know, try to figure out a couple of puzzle pieces. I couldn't think of anything more frustrating. But anyway, you know, a couple of puzzle pieces, and he put it all together, you know, and would slowly the image would come together bit by bit, piece by piece, the completion of the puzzle was there. But if you wanted to appreciate the, the image for what it truly was meant to be, the final pieces had to be placed in. And imagine if he lost some pieces, how frustrating that would be. But he didn't, and their final pieces would be put in, and you could see the whole. Now, likewise, the prophets had been given different pieces of the puzzle for God's salvation. For example, and I'm only going to give you a short little example. I'm going to prattle them off really quickly. But we see, for example, David in 2 Samuel 7, 12 to 13 is promised a son who will reign forever. Zechariah 9, 9, Isaiah 7, 14, Isaiah 9, 6, Isaiah 53, Daniel 9, with the Son of Man approaching the Father, uh, approaching God in the heavens. Each of these pieces of puddle, puzzle put in, adding, building to this bigger revelatory revealing of Christ and the salvation that is foretold in the Old Testament comes piece by piece together. But the prophets were only capturing a shadowy glimpse of the full brightness of Christ. They were only seeing dimly, we're told. And Peter, remember, is saying all of this to encourage the believers. What you see is glorious. You have this glory. Don't forget the laser vision you have received, the new perspective that you have received. And I am laboring this point because the incomprehensible joy that we owe that we ought to have in recognizing God's blessing, that he in his providential deciding placed you on this side of redemption history. The prophets searched and inquired carefully, but we're told that they were serving you. They were serving you. We're the recipients of this truth. We're the recipients we are the ones who have full sight. And Jesus is the prism through which we understand and we view the entirety of the Old Testament. He makes it clear. And that's why when Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus and he's accompanying two disciples, he opens their minds and he says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, not some all of the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And that is why also Paul in 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is Christ. That's why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. For his glory. 
So as has been highlighted in our previous messages on 1 Peter thus far, Peter's audience has endured suffering. They've endured persecution. And Peter, he wants to transcend them above their temporal suffering, their trials. He wants to encourage them. He wants to pull back the curtain, reveal to them the glory that's before them. He wants to take them to King's Canyon and show them the oasis that is theirs. Because the sufferings of Christ and subsequent glories have been revealed in Christ, which the prophet said would come. Which leads us to our um, second point. There's only two points today, and this one's a lot shorter. And that is, salvation is in our hearts through the good news. Now, I want to draw us to the attention of... It, it, it somewhat seems like an aside, but I think it's an important point to recognize that it's Peter writing this letter. It's Peter trying to encourage his people to see the glory of what they've received. This is the same Peter who didn't truly understand the purposes of Christ himself. Christ is walking with him, talking with him, being there, training him, instructing him, and he didn't understand. That's why he understood to some degree, to some degree, because Christ had not yet gone to the cross, had not yet entered into his subsequent glories of the resurrection. But he did understand that Christ was a Messiah, but he didn't understand truly. Jesus says that the Messiah must suffer, be rejected, and die. And what do we see in Mark chapter 8? We see Peter promptly rebukes Jesus. He says, no, he's rebuking Jesus. Because Peter, he didn't understand the magnitude of Christ needing to suffer in order to receive the subsequent glories. He did not see that. So this is the same Peter who's speaking now to these believers. He's saying, look, do you see what is yours? Do you understand this grand view that you have, this panoramic view of history, all pointed to Christ coming and being revealed in you? He's resharpening their focus with the blessing that they have received in being able to truly perceive the glory of Christ, which Peter was initially unable to see. And this leads to the application in our hearts are we grateful for this glory? Gratitude is what this passage elicits. Gratitude that we are on the blessing of this side of history. We are in the covenant of Christ, which is better than the old covenant, which was inadequate. It pointed towards Christ. It was a shadow of things to come. We are in the period of time <clears throat> where... As Jesus tells his disciples, the prophets did not see it and didn't and they um, sorry did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. But we have the privilege. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have been announced to you. That's what Jesus says. Gratitude. Our heart ought to swell with gratitude. Peter's giving us a, a, a perspective, a moment. A moment as we go through the ordinariness of life, as we experience trials, 
as we experience resistance and perhaps persecution from those around us as our society becomes increasingly antagonistic. He's reminding us, he's saying, look at what you have. It should bring out a well of gratitude in us. The problem is, is we're so often content with playing with the mud and making mud pies than eating the true food and source of Christ. Marvelous truth. Marvelous truth. And I want you to bear this in mind, that you have a, a rich heritage as well in this, that this truth has radiated out from the center of Jerusalem to Samaria and to the ends of the world here in Australia. One of the last places to receive the gospel. Here in Australia, Christ is being proclaimed. And Peter says, it is the preaching of the good news, received in the good news through the Holy Spirit, that you received the grace found in Jesus. That same Spirit that foretold the coming of Christ, who inspired the writers of the New Testament, is the one who has brought you from death to life. The good news and salvation is ours. Good news, grace and salvation. And this is the good news, that though we are unworthy, though we are deserving of death and eternal separation from God with just punishment for condemnation that we rightly receive because of the inadequacy that we are before God, because we fell away from God, Jesus Christ suffered he first and foremost suffered on a cross so that you would not have to suffer on the cross. He took your place as your substitute, as your representative. He suffered on the cross. Well, the prophets looked forward in time. They waited, they saw, they didn't completely understand. And Jesus on that cross is completing history. History is over and done with, folks. It's finished. History was completed 2,000 years ago. We are just waiting with expectant hope for what will be truly revealed at the end, as Peter said earlier in this letter. God took that wrath that you rightly deserve, that righteous anger for offending the maker and the creator of the universe who is justified in being holy and righteously angry because of his goodness against us who are not right and good. He took that on himself. And we read it was the plan. This was always God's plan. Revelation speaks of the, the lamb being slain before the foundation of the world. This was, as the common, often um, tritely said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. But let's listen to it again. For God so gave the world his one and only son. That whoever believes him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is the grace. This is the good news. This is the salvation that we have, as God helpfully reminded us, that is imperishable, undefiled, and held for us. And let's move in that space of gratitude this week and for all of our days, refocusing, resharpening our vision, Peter calls us to the vision that is here. And may we stand securely in it because Christ, if you are in Christ, that is yours. That is yours. If you are not in Christ, 
This invitation is for you. This is for you. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are and the great gift that you've given us. That you suffered so that we wouldn't have to. That your subsequent glories were revealed. That you rose from the dead and you have offered those that have repented and placed their faith in you eternal life that will not fade, will not perish. You have closed history. That chapter is finished. And we just wait. Wait for your returning to reveal what we already have. Thank you for your goodness and your provision of yourself through Jesus Christ. In your name, amen.